The Third Magpie by M.S. Clements Read by Hannah Timms Episode 3 Sophie Did you have to buy every single bulb in Greenalls? complained Finn after Sophie tossed him yet another bag of daffodil bulbs. Yes, Mum was paying my birthday treat, remember? Rolling back onto her ankles, she marvelled at her husband, her shy, devoted knight. Sophie walked over to him and massaged his shoulders, sensing his body relax with her touch. And is it your birthday wish to have me on my knees all day? he said, bending forward to brush the dirt from his trousers. Treat em mean, keep em keen. Finn recoiled in mock horror. You evil woman! I can see we're going to have to have words later tonight. Tiny laughter lines had developed around his eyes, and hiding within his fair hair were rogue grey ones. The young student that had rescued her was gone, but his enticing mouth remained. She wrapped her arms around his waist and lifted herself onto her tiptoes, inviting a kiss. Is that what they call it these days? There will be no words, nor anything else, if you don't get these dafts planted. Sophie nodded towards the bank behind the bench. Plant those over there, and I'll sort out this bramble. Yes, Miss Sophia, your word is my command. Sophie giggled and gently punched him on the arm. Work now, word later. They planted and cleared the garden in contented silence, until Sophie let out an annoyed squeak. She caught Finn's grin as he anticipated dealing with her mini-drama. With her middle finger held high and her bottom lip curled down, Sophie moved towards him until the finger was up by his nose. Thorn, you don't half make a fuss. Come on then, let's have a look. He began the futile attempt to find the thorn. Sophie sighed. He definitely needed new glasses. Thoughts of the expensive necessity was obliterated by the sensual pleasure of his finger tracing along her skin. Ow! I can feel it, he said, excited by his discovery. Yeah, and so can I! Finn squeezed his thumb and forefinger together, thinking to use his stubby nails as tweezers. Bored by his failure, Sophie pulled her hand away, curling her fingernails into her palms. Once Finn went in search of the first aid box, she unfurled her fingers and examined her own nails. They were grubby, worn down and chipped, an accurate reflection of how she felt. Got the tweezers! Let's have another go, he called as he returned from the house. Sophie screwed her eyes shut and put out her hand. Moments later, Finn held up the thorn triumphant. My beautiful mistress has been rescued from the evil thorn monster. Before Sophie had chance to finish cleaning the wound with antiseptic, he had grabbed her hand, smothering her injured finger with kisses. She giggled. Oh, bet that tastes disgusting now. Nothing about you could ever be disgusting. Are we still doing words later? Or have we graduated to a full blown row. Sophie wasn't listening to her husband's obvious innuendo. She was staring at a tiny speck of blood at the tip of her finger. It reminded her of the fairy tales she adored as a child. Was she Snow White's mother? Or maybe she was Aurora, that sleeping beauty. That thorn had revived a melancholic memory. 
the fear and sadness of a predetermined destiny that lay beyond the princess's control. Playing Hospitals Melbourne Manor House, aged five Today, Kitty is the doctor, telling Teddy that little panda is perfectly fine, nothing wrong, just a normal little panda in his blue dress. Evie's laughter disturbs our playing, so Kitty and I run to the door and drag her in. Play with us! Are you playing hospitals again, sweetie? I nod, holding a giant syringe to Dr. Kitty's paws. And will that make Pander better? says Evie, her fingers tickling my side. Stop it, Evie! I say through my giggles. Kitty says it will, but Teddy is cross now. Why is Teddy cross? Because Teddy thinks it will make little Pander poorly. Will it make Pander sick? I cuddle up on her lap. Evie stops tickling me and hugs me close. No, darling. The injection won't make you ill. It's to protect you. But what about Pander? I don't want her to talk about me. I want to know about Pander. Pander will be just fine, she says, popping a kiss on my nose. And so will you. I'm not having any injections. Mummy says so. I wriggle to get off her, but she holds me. We'll see. She sniffs Kitty's fur and pretends to be sick. Maybe it's time for Kitty to have a bath before she makes you poorly. I snatch her out of my sister's hand. I don't care how grubby she is. No one is allowed to take her from me, not even for one day. I love her. It's okay. No one is taking her from you tonight. It's bedtime. Are you ready? Evie doesn't pick a book from the shelf. She's read my favorites so many times that she can say them off by heart. So I close my eyes and listen. Finn. A creak from the kissing gate alerted him to Carl's arrival. His friend always knew where to find him, whether or not Finn wanted his company. He returned his attention to the tarnished plaque on the back of the memorial bench, giving it a little wipe. You'll wear that plaque out one day, Carl called out, making his way towards the bench. Finn slid his legs off the seat, opening up a space for him. Then I'll replace it, he replied, touching the name. It's been 16 years this year. Can you believe it? 16 years without them. It still hurts when I think of Evie. Understandable. You guys were close, said Carl, wriggling his bottom onto the bench to warm the wood before relaxing into his customary position. Even though it wasn't that cold, Carl flicked up his jacket collar and tugged it closer around his large frame. Anything nice? he asked, already fingering through the contents of Finn's lunchbox. Finn said nothing, so Carl picked out the cheese from the sandwich and ate what was left. Did you have a good half-term? His words mumbled by the fresh bread. Fine. We stayed at home as usual. Soph took on some extra shifts to help out the guys with children. Oh, now that's kind. Not really. It's expected of her as she is childless. He paused. Then added, 
as we are childless. What about you? Um, well, I went away. AZ8, just three days, mind. Carl turned away, embarrassed by his answer. An almost imperceptible raised eyebrow betrayed Finn's surprise. Sun, sea and surf? Who did you bribe? Weather wasn't great, to be honest. Anyhow, I was visiting my little brother. Isn't he in AZ-12? Did he get transferred? You could say that, but no, not transferred. He got caught. Turns out arrest is the fastest route to AZ-8. Finn gaped at his friend, astounded by the revelation. Questions tumbling out of his mouth with no consideration as to whether they could or should be answered. Why didn't you tell me? When, when did this happen? What did he do? Carl shrugged his shoulders and pointed out that having a brother caught for people smuggling was not something you brag about. In fact, you positively keep it a secret, especially when you're an ageing bachelor teacher whose best friend is a DIA. Unnerved by Carl's comment, Finn pulled his arms tight across his body, his foot tapping the earth, and a slight stammer delaying his response. I... I'm... I'm... sorry. How is he? Well, there's the positive. He's lost weight and gained a tan. On the flip side, he's depressed and won't speak to me. I've no connections, you see. Guess I'm pretty useless as a brother. Finn knew what Carl was implying, even though it was not unkindly meant. Being the son-in-law of New Albany's foreign minister had its advantages, a father-in-law who could call in favours when necessary. Tim Smith was an Albion elite, a man with friends and connections, people who would overlook some foreigner teaching girls in a mediocre school. Rules can easily be manipulated when someone senior enough orders it so. Oh, I wasn't getting at you, Finn. I'd never do that. You're my only mate in this dump. Come on, lad. What did you get up to? Can't imagine you keeping house while Sophie worked. Finn admired Carl's ability to mind-read. Relaxing slightly, he recounted Sophie's never-ending lists of little jobs, ending with the three days tiling for Mrs Carter. Mrs Carter? Not the one from Culverhouse Surgery? I thought she was long dead, busy terrifying the poor devil and demons out of hell. They shuddered at the mental image of Mrs Carter, a gorgon of unique ability. Unfortunate patients would pray for a miraculous recovery rather than plead beneath her stony scowl for an elusive appointment. Finn laughed as he told Carl about the old woman monitoring the whole time he tiled, reminding her tiler at ten-minute intervals that she was only a pensioner and had to look after the pennies. Carl's round tummy bounced with silent chortling when Finn described the old woman waving a broomstick at him just in case he displayed any amorous intentions towards her virtue. Sounds like wishful thinking on her part. Or maybe it's just one more element of her torture routine, Carl said, wiping a laughter tear from his eye. Oh, God, Carl, imagine it. Being arrested, when the interrogation officer walks in, it's Mrs Carter. You tell them everything immediately. If Asu nab you, believe me, they don't need Mrs Carter to make you tell them everything. Those bastards are a dab hand at interrogation. Humour and dreams of normality were mere fleeting moments in their world, and Carl's response flung Finn back to within sight of his accompanying demon, a man always on the verge of arrest. The two men sat side by side on the bench, 
each wondering if or when they would find themselves in a secret service cell. Carl kicked at the dry earth beneath the bench, fine dust rising and settling on their shoes. He wiped them on the back of his trousers. Finn poured some water from his bottle onto a couple of napkins and handed one to his companion. As if anyone cares, he said, dabbing his lips with the damp paper. I do. I'm still allowed that luxury. They haven't taken that away from me just yet, said Finn, cleaning the dirt off his shoes. Carl harumphed. Talking about our dear leaders, did you get wind of the latest news? Soph keeps me away from it as much as possible. What new indignation am I due? Finn continued polishing the shoe leather with the dry part of the paper napkin. His shoes shone, reflecting the man in the black leather. Shoes that were well cared for, treasured, resold and rehealed at the start of every academic year. An expensive relic from the years gone by when Finn was free to choose the best. He looked back up at Carl. Well? Nah, nothing to do with you. Well, a bit, but not really. Did you get hit on the head today? You, you're not making sense. We've got a new commandant for our area zone and his darling daughter is joining the school. Finn blinked in surprise. Why would he send her to schoolhouse 87? That doesn't make sense. No idea. Perhaps she fancies playing poor girl for a change. Carl paused, engrossed by a phone message. That's admirable, I think. Finn watched him tap away on the phone. It appeared new, but given he was banned from owning one, he had long since given up on trends and fashions on the mobile phone industry. Carl slipped the phone back into his pocket and grinned. OK, so this new girl, she's been allocated to your class this term. Transfer notes are in your pigeonhole. My class? The shock made him choke on his own saliva. After Carl had thumped him a couple of times on his back, he managed to voice his concern. He does know I'm a DIA, doesn't he? I don't fancy a punishment beating just because of a clerical error. Carl gave Finn a reassuring pat on the leg, saying, That commandant is known for his ability to extract information. Bet he already knows what you are, where you live, and how many times you make love to the lovely Sophia L. Is that the time? He brushed the breadcrumbs off his jacket and stood up to leave. Well, best head back. Got a history lesson to give. Oh, I do love a bit of fiction, don't you? He'll be just fine. Candine Hall Preparatory School, age six. Daddy and the headmaster chat about all the Sheehan connections to the school. Michael Finlay Sheehan, the seventh Sheehan and the fourth generation to attend Carndine, boasts Daddy. No one asked me if I wanted to go. Daddy jokes about fees and the headmaster shifts in his seat. I stare at my new shoes, my first lace-ups. I'll have to learn how to tie my own laces now. So, Michael... What books do you like? says the headmaster. I don't reply. Oh, he's quite an avid reader. He's just started some Harry Potter, says Mummy. The headmaster continues to watch me, so I look at the floor. And do you like music, Michael? We have an orchestra, 
and the boys' choir go on tour after Christmas. Mummy answers his question. His piano teacher says he has a natural talent, and he has been singing in the church choir for the past year. The head smile disappears as he reads the papers on his desk. Mrs. Sheehan, my notes indicate that Michael has some learning issues. Our special needs... Oh, yes, we did visit several consultants when Finn was younger, but nothing proved conclusive. He mispronounced certain words, that's all. We took him to a speech therapist and she dealt with it. He's grown out of that now. He does get free... Yes, that's in my notes, but it says you have other concerns. Well, you see, I believe... Darling. Daddy holds onto Mummy's arm. I think we can say he is just dreadfully shy, like many children of his age. He turns to the head. He became quieter after his accident, but he's all better now, aren't you, Finn? I nod and look away. I don't want to be here. They'll fight again, and Mummy will take me to another doctor in his funny front room clinic. The headmaster gives me one of those smiles before returning his attention back to Mummy and Daddy. As you say, Mr. Sheehan, I am sure he will settle in just fine and will soon be as boisterous as any other Candine boy, although preferably not as distracting as his brother. Andy is much better behaved these days, headmaster, Daddy says, tapping his foot. Mummy looks away. Glad to hear it. Anyway, our school matron studied child psychology prior to becoming a school nurse. She's wonderful. He'll be just fine here, won't you, Michael? Finn. Check the lesson plan, check the books, check the equipment, check it again. Finn hated standing in front of the girls, giving a presentation on Mr Bennet and Elizabeth, or on Wickham's deceit. Like many pretending to be someone he wasn't, he suffered from stage fright. Frightened he'd get the facts wrong, frightened the girls would laugh at him, frightened it would become too much. He was terrified of the monsters of his past returning. Finn delved into his bag. Was it there? What if he'd mislaid it? His sudden panic was soothed by its smoothness, the comfort of its weight in his hand, his talisman. He placed the pen on his desk and stared at it, matte black with an engraved gold clip, just like the nib hidden within its cap, his last gift from Evie. He went through his checks once more, his hands balling into fists and his fingernails cutting into his palms. There had to be positive reasons for standing in that classroom instead of the comfortable study in Melbourne Manor House. The answer never altered. Sophie. The girls sauntered into the classroom chatting about boys and marriage arrangements. One girl was showing off her engagement ring. A simple silver band, the fiancé's initials etched into a tiny heart. She would not be returning after Christmas. Her role in life as a happy teenager would cease. Soon to be a wife, within a year a mother, the devoted, obedient ideal of New Albany, envied by her classmates, pitied by her teacher. Finn disguised his feelings with a murmur of congratulations. He would be left with yet another empty seat in his dwindling class. 
the commandant's daughter was the last to enter, accompanied by the head. The girls stood in respectful unison, something their own teacher rarely experienced. He locked towards Finn, waving his arm, simultaneously acknowledging the pupils while releasing them from their homage. Noise erupted in the classroom with scraping chairs, emptying bags and audible murmurs about the new girl. That girl was twisting a loose lock of her hair between delicate fingers, aware of the whispers, but not looking to see who was responsible. Mr Michael, may I introduce our new pupil, Miss Fry? Miss Fry, Mr Michael will be your English teacher for this term. Finn bowed his head in polite greeting, repeating the words expected of a subordinate. An honour, Miss Fry. She did not reply, turning her back on him and taking her seat at the front of the class. Finn was struck by how mature she appeared. Tall and elegant, with her blonde ponytail flowing down the middle of her back, she exuded a confidence that the other girls lacked. Even their heads seemed intimidated. Miss Fry stared at him, as though examining a strange specimen, before giving the teacher a look of practised contempt. That he was used to receiving. What unnerved him was her continued observation of him throughout the lesson. It was clear she was intelligent, briefly transporting him to his lecturer days and the rare exceptional student. However, this girl was only 17. Regardless of the information on her transfer notes, her prior education had not been courtesy of a mediocre girls' school. Monday, 26th October. I started at Schoolhouse 87 today. Another of Daddy's social experiments. A girl spoke to me. Carly? Carol? Who cares? We have nothing in common. English teachers ought. Weather... Dry. Finn threw down his coat on the leaf-strewn ground. It was so enticing, like a beautiful throw of bright dying colours, an autumnal riposte to the dull tones of the season. He stretched out and studied the cloud formations in the sky. One of these bright sunny days would be the last of the year and Finn would take advantage of each and every one. By the time Carl had reached his recumbent friend, Finn had closed his eyes, lost in his own world of memories. Wakey, wakey, you lazy git, he said, giving Finn a gentle shove with the tip of his shoe. Carl's black silhouette shaded him, blocking out the sun. Anything nice? he asked. The shadow followed him to the bench, where he immediately began rummaging through the napkins and waxed paper. I ate the steak before you arrived, <laughs> along with the Cabernet Sauvignon and the Tarto Ceres. <laughs> Let me guess, cheese sarnies? He replaced the lunchbox in disgust. With his hands behind his head, he closed his eyes and tipped his face skywards, breathing in deeply. You smell that, lad? That is the delightful aroma of decay. I just love the autumn. The grey skies, the wind and rain, shorter days and a sense of approaching death. Finn shook the leaves and mud off his coat and joined Carl on the bench. You make the world so cheery. It's a wonder the girls don't troop behind you singing their little hearts out. And besides, it's a beautiful blue sky today. I'm not here for a philosophical discussion about the joys and disappointments of the seasons. The head wants to see you. 
That old bat of a secretary is currently running around the school in a mild state of panic. Surprisingly, she didn't think to look for you in the graveyard. With those few words, Finn's whole body tensed with the anticipation of impending doom. He did not thank his friend for the message, but instead rapidly gathered his things together. New Albany teachers knew urgent calls from the school head were never a good sign, but for someone like Finn, it might mean instant dismissal or worse. Another polite request for his resignation so that the son of a middle-ranking officer might play teacher to some teenage girls. Carl shouted to Finn as he sped off in the direction of the school. I'll drop by yours later. You can tell me everything then. From his sanctuary beneath the apple trees, Finn heard the gate click. It was too early to be Sophie. Even without glancing up, he knew it was Carl. Few other guests ventured out to their cottage and those that did knocked at the front door, all except Carl. He interrupted Carl's purposeful walk towards the house and with his hand lifted in greeting, he wandered in Finn's direction, his head turning to admire the autumn colour. The sole reason Sophie bought the cottage was because of its garden. It wasn't particularly wide by the house, but fanned out into a generous plot, overlooked by no one and allowing them the rare luxury of privacy. Sophie's garden was her pride and joy, her surrogate child. Garden looks stunning, Carl said, making himself comfortable on the neighbouring chair. He picked up a small pillow, embroidered with delicate forget-me-nots. One of Soph's? Pretty. Finn nodded and held out a wine glass for his friend. I'm drinking. Do you want some? I thought I'd enjoy the last of the sun with some wine. It's elderflower. Carl shook his head in disgust. Are you sure? I am on my second glass already, said Finn, reaching for the half-empty bottle at his side, his speech more measured than usual. His father-in-law's homemade wine was notoriously strong as well as unpalatable. He rarely succumbed. Is that to celebrate the end of your teaching career? I hear that the tobacco factory needs a cleaner. I could put in a good word for you. Oh, that is so kind. But I didn't have to resign. The head, well, you see, he was offering me an extra job instead. Has... Miss Carter, been extolling the greatness of your tiling skills. It was Finn's turn to shake his head. He giggled before replying. Well, you're not going to believe this. Guess what? I am the new private tutor for Miss Fry, the commandant's daughter. Carl stared at his friend in disbelief, giving the bottle a quick check. Let me make you some tea. You are obviously drunk. I can hear your accent. Finn put his hand out to stop him. Don't go. Carl removed Finn's half-drunk glass of wine from his hand and sat back down, taking a sip of the pale liquid. Good God, that's foul. You realise I'm only doing this to save you. Go on, lads. What happened? He ordered the head to the mansion and asked for me by name. By name. Who? The commandant, silly. 
He said his daughter deserved the best, and that's me, apparently. And he is going to pay me above the DIA rank limit. Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays until the end of the school year. Sophie is going to be so thrilled. Bet there's a catch. None that I can tell, replied Finn, retrieving his glass and finishing off what remained of the wine. You're telling me he breaks his own employment rules to take you on as a tutor, and you say there isn't a catch? I'm sorry, if it smells of rotten fish, then you can be damn sure it is rotten fish. The pitch of Carl's response rose in disbelief. Honestly, no catch. I was sceptical too, but the head said all the paperwork would be approved. I'll have a late pass on tutoring nights and permission to be alone in the house with Miss Fry. What? Alone? Are you fucking crazy? Why on earth did you agree to that? Finn laughed again. I won't really be alone. There are all the household staff, for one, and the security outside. Even if she were in a room of twenty, she'd probably consider herself alone. What does Sophie say? Self's at work. I'll surprise her once she gets back. This extra pay, well, it means we'll have money to save. Finn was reluctant to say it out loud, but he knew Carl understood. Six years of saving, and maybe the chance of a child would be within their grasp. Carl looked directly to the teacher. Watch your back, Finn. There's always a catch. Thank you for listening to this production of The Third Magpie. To support our work, please consider buying or gifting a digital copy of The Third Magpie from Amazon or post a review on Goodreads. Register at pageupbooks.co.uk to stay in touch with future projects. That's pageupbooks, P-G-U-P, like the key on your keyboard, P-G-U-P, books.co.uk. Thank you.